All right. I'm going to share this morning, but not doing much talking. I'm going to use some, um, some audio clips from the speaking of God to us over the last nine months. And what I just want to um, encourage us with and also challenge myself is how do we be faithful with the speaking of God to us? Remember the parable with the, the sower and the extent to which seed was sown on good ground. And there was an increase that God expected back from it. And also when the talents were distributed, a sense of increase that was expected. I remember in Sierra Leone, in sharing with the guys, um, I think a question came forward on what is stewardship. And I was talking about stewardship. I was just encouraging them that stewardship wasn't really about the fact that there was an increase. Because the guy who had one talent, I remember the master said to him, even if you invested it in the bank, you would have had an interest. And, you know, we always look at that and said how unfair the master was expecting a massive increase from the guy, and the guy at least tried to preserve the one talent and not lose it. But I was encouraging the guys in Sierra Leone that stewardship is about taking risk and engaging in the marketplace, taking five talents and trading with it. At some point in time, there was a risk that those five talents could have been lost. But they were invested because that person had a sight of something more. And I likened that on to the guy who saw a pearl in the field and he sold everything he had to gain it. So he lost his wealth that he created, but he found something else. We know Abraham had a sight of God that even these dead bones can live. So he was able to raise the knife to sacrifice Isaac. And the story go on and on. I mean, I'm not that much of a God, and I normally hear references made to Ken. Where is Ken? As the um, green person among us. And, but I remember when I was in secondary school, the first time I came to pruning a tomato tree, it seemed like an absolutely crazy process that you're cutting things off and expecting a harvest. But there was a sense of faith and confidence in what I was being taught to prune it and expect something back in return. The second and the third time, it was much easier to do it, to lay it down easily, to see those branches being cut off and expecting that that will produce a harvest. And I think if we look through all the stories of God sending his son to die, Abraham and Isaac, the story of the talents, there's a principle of sometimes you need, even at the point of crisis, to lay the thing back down on the altar, and God has the ability to bring it back uh, in a much increased measure. So um, concerning the, the word of God to us, while I could take the time to probably share something new, I just thought, looking back over the messages, they have been a consistent theme. And I'm not going to use the PowerPoint presentation, but I just want to mention some words that I want us to listen for in all the audio clips that we're going to hear. All right? Um, one of those words are compassion. I think that has been a resounding theme since after we, we did um, the covenant relationships back in, I think, spring going into summer of last year. We just had spoken about covenant relationships. Um, in recent times, there is an emphasis on worship as a warfare. That's the last song that the team took us through. Um, build your throne, God, as we worship. I think that's the next theme that God has been speaking to us. There is also a sense of perseverance. 
that have been mentioned recently in when we were going through the series on James. So if we listen for these words, but as I go through the other clips, I'll just kind of pull out some of the points. So the first one I want to look at is when Mark McGraw was with us, if we just listen to short audio, and then I'll just bring out some points on what he said. Into our world. If God is ever going to fill this earth with glory, it's because we figured out how to let God turn us from holding on to the parts that belong only to him and laying hold of the parts that can be for us too. I need you. I need you. I need you day in and day out. I need people in my life. I have to have it or I am going to stay grabbing hold to the wrong side of God. And if we need any example, remember what it says about our master, how he did not consider equality with God on those incommunicable attributes. He didn't consider his equality with God in those ways to be worthy of being held onto, but he let them go so that he could embrace a whole different side of God. Live as us, filled with compassion and mercy and long-suffering and gentleness and humility and patience, grace, forgiveness. Have the greatest of someone who had a right to hold on to the other side of God but willingly let it go so he could embrace the glory of God on the earth. I challenge you as a church, you need each other. You need worship. And you need to find how God can take what is crooked in us and make it straight, fill us with his glory. And when we say glory, we now know what he wanted us to mean by that. He wanted us to mean compassion, to look at people in need and, and let it break our hearts. He wanted it to be mercy, to look at those around us and say, you don't deserve this and I'm going to pour it on you so much you won't believe it. He wanted us to be truthful so that when you see us, there's no mask. We are what we are. We love who we love. We struggle with what we struggle, but we are filled with truth. He wanted us to be forgiving. That's our master who could have held what I am now calling the wrong side of God because it's the wrong side for me. But he let it go to embrace the glory of God. That's your call as a church. That's why it's worth the struggle to get along with each other. Oh gosh, are you all obstinate pigs. Just look at each other and go oink, oink. Get over it. I had a, a mentor who used to say these words, the ways of God are so simple, only the obedient can understand them. It's not hard. You just have to love. And that's why you need each other. That's why you need to struggle with what you struggle with. That's why you have people in your life that are messed up and hurt you and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only to prepare you to share the glory of God in the world. 
And then when you've learned to do it with each other, just keep doing it. Just go to work and share the glory of God. Go to school and bring the glory of God with you. <laughs> Hang out with your, with your neighbors and bring the glory of God with you. It's not all about the power and the might. It's all about the compassion and mercy and long-suffering. Forgiveness. It's all about love. That's what God is calling us to. His glory is found in us sharing his personality to grab the right side of God. So my challenge is, will you open your heart to the Holy Spirit more and more, daily, hourly, minutely? Will you learn to listen to what's going on inside you? And when the Holy Spirit says, you're grabbing the wrong side, McGrath, you say, oh, oh I, I, I do, I will, forgive me. The beautiful thing here is we are just, you notice when Moses, when God comes by, this is, the, the people just messed up royally. They just messed up enough that God could say, I am done with you. And what God wants him to know is, I'm a God not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. And as he passes by Moses, Moses hastens to fall on the ground and said, oh, then if you're not like that, Will you come with us? Will you come with us? We got to have that. God says that's the point. Okay. Um, so we heard Mark challenging us there for, not four, but two. Um, he said compassion, love, he was talking about those things. I want to take that back to, um, he said not the power but the ability to exist in a state of love and compassion for each other. And I want to take that back to um, Jesus Christ when he was tempted in the desert. There was a sense to which the challenges to him was to even count himself equal, which he was, you know, in, in terms of his former glory. But he was willing to not yearn to the, 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 the temptation of demonstration of power but the ability to become, and he says, he learned obedience by the things to which he suffered. And I think that's a challenge to us as well. Um, and if I leap back from that, that, that audio clip back to what God shared with um, a group of us who met in King's Park back in January, there was a sense to which there was a move on us and a connectedness in terms of restoration of relationships and a greater sight of him. And I think, you know, for God to be reminding us about that again in June, having visited us in January, it comes to me like a challenge that God is saying, look, do not forget. And I think there's a constant prophetic word coming to us. If you listen to that audio clip, it was prophetic in its nature. And God has been faithful and merciful to us. Um, I want to go back to a clip from a waiting and seeking um, session that Sally did with us. Um, if we just listen to this for a while, and what I found interesting out of this clip is, yes, God has been faithful to us. He's declaring, hey, this is what I want to do. But Sally was dealing with the complexity of how can you wait and seek all at the same time? And it was a story that is, was relevant to her, but if we just refresh ourselves again with it. Faithful. So 
the journey started really with losing my engagement ring, which you might have heard me mention a few weeks ago. And when I was looking for it, it felt like God gave me a glimpse of his heart, really, for me. What it meant for him to come and to seek me. And it kind of got me questioning, really, how much do I seek him? I know he gave everything to find me, but how much am I giving to find him, to seek him? Am I seeking him like the woman who swept her house clean to find the lost coin? Am I seeking him like he's the pearl of greatest price? What, what's my positioning in that? And as I've been asking God, he's given me a new desire to seek him. And as John said earlier, it's his grace. And I'm really thankful that he's giving his grace to me to seek him. And the sense I have is it's like if you had some treasure in your back garden buried somewhere, you wouldn't just sit there and think, oh, that's nice, there's some treasure in my back garden. You would start looking for it. So I think part of his grace is that he gives us some things to do where we can go and look and seek him. Now, as I was contemplating this, one of my friends brought this word to me because I was a bit like, oh, I know God's got something that's, something stirring. I don't know what to do with it. And she said, okay, I think this is God's word. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Which didn't really feel like it fitted with the seek him and sweep your house clean and, look, and the pearl of greatest price and all of that. So I'm saying, Lord, okay, do I rest or do I seek? Which? And he said, yes, both. So this is the journey. Um, I feel that I'm understanding a little bit more about waiting. And here is a word, Hebrew word, korvor, which means to wait, to look for, to hope, expect, to look eagerly for, to wait in faith. Interestingly, to bind together, like twisting. And um, one of my friends said to me, it's like being entwined with God. So that sense of being bound together with him. He's not distant. He's right here. And then the last one, which I was very intrigued by, to lie in wait for, like a hunter. This is a farmer. You wouldn't think so. But um, my, my dad, I was talking to my dad about this, because I remembered one of the things that he used to do on a very often on a cold wet night in February, was take his shotgun, um, for those of you that don't know, my dad is a farmer, just thought better, he doesn't just live around here with a shotgun, you know. So, um, yeah, my dad was a farmer in Yorkshire, and he used to, um, all the farmers used to be plagued by wood pigeons, which aren't the scraggy, horrible things you see around here, quite plump, healthy looking things, which like to feed on farmers' wheat and barley. So what you have to do is go and get rid of them. And so all the farmers have this custom. On a Friday night in February, you go to your wood or your field, and you sit there, and you wait for the wood pigeons to come and roost, and then you shoot them. Sorry if there's any animal bird lovers here, but really, 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 they were pests. Um, so my dad was saying to me, you know, it was something you did, you didn't really want to go and sit in the cold and the damp and the kind of dusk in February, but you did it because you needed to. You got ready, you got your right equipment, you got your gun, you got your warm jacket, trogged up to the woods, sat there, 
and waited until dusk started to fall. And then you'd hear, the first thing you'd hear would be the sound of the wings as the pigeons came into roost. And so then you're listening. And he said what he was listening for was when the sound of the wings changed, because oh, he did the noise on the phone to me, but I really can't do that. But anyway, basically, there's a change. They fly in towards the wood. You hear that sound. And then as they're coming into roost, the wing beat changes. And you know at that point they're roosting. That, apparently, that's the best time to shoot them because they're not flying fast. They're settling down. So then you shoot. And he was saying... For, it, the other thing that I thought was interesting, you didn't look up too early because they'd see the white of your face and then fly off. So you had to be really careful. You'd time it. And um, he said that he remembers when my granddad gave him a gun for his 16th birthday. And he went off to the wood and he came back with 42 pigeons. He was really pleased because he'd waited for the right time. And I think there's something about that positioning, about that being ready, about that waiting, and the wholeheartedness. Because my dad was saying you didn't give up, you stayed until it was too dark to see, and you, you know, shot as many pigeons as you could because you didn't want them eating your crop. But I think this thing about waiting is to do with having a hope and an expectation and a readiness to act. So the next thing is that God was speaking to me about is the seeking. So... What does it mean to seek him? Well, another Hebrew word, borkash, to search out, to strive after, to ask, to desire, to diligently look for, to search earnestly until the object of the search is found. I, I like all of those, but then I especially like these next two, to seek the face. Um, you know, when you're wanting to see how someone feels about you, you look at their face, don't you? And hopefully what you see is quite nice, because they quite like you. But it's a, I think with God, we want to seek his face. We want that closeness, that intimacy. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, the last one, to seek is done by touching. So I don't know if that's like a blind person who sometimes would feel your face to get an indication of what you look like. The thing that immediately came to my mind was when I've lost something small, and I think maybe it's gone under the sofa, and I'm sticking my hand under the sofa trying to see if I can feel it. But it's that sense of um, a real intentional seeking. So, what's the aim? Why am I seeking? Why am I waiting for him? Well, the first thing is, and the most important thing, I want to know him. I want his presence. I don't want to just get on with my life. So it's the same psalm, the same verse again. It's that thing about dwelling in his house all the days of my life. Not just some days when I feel particularly spiritual. All the days of my life I want to know his presence. I also want to seek him because he's more important than anything else. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Well, that was the 23rd of June. Um, Sally was sharing that with us. I remember on the 4th of December, Andy Garland, um, he wrote 
to John about the season of the fish. The fisherman is over and it's a season for the hunter. And there were 10 points that Andy brought out there. And when I heard Sally sharing there about her dad's experience, about the, I said it wasn't just about the pigeons. It wasn't just about the equipment. It wasn't the nature of the prey. What made it successful was the posture of the dad's heart towards engaging with all those things. And I just felt, going back to when Andy had shared that back in December, quite apart from the lives that God wanted to connect us with, it was, it was very important for us to have a heart of readiness and to posture ourselves in a way that we could have received. Um, I want to just lastly focus in on some testimonies. But when you listen to these testimonies, if you listen for the timelines, because I want to put a challenge to us, one of them was back in uh, February, I think, of this year, and it spoke about processes that culminated back in the August. It's the Simmons testimonies. One of them, which was first, was Amanda. She was talking about a process that started 28 years prior. Jeremy shared about a process that visited him from, I think, at the age of three, right up into his um, university years. Toby then spoke about a process that was probably two years. And then Peter spoke about a process that really reflected just his interaction and trying to be there as a point of um, resource to his brothers. And I think at the 24th of February, God shared something with us. When we listen to those audio clips, we will jump forward to July and dawn sharing. But just remember on the 27th of February, something significantly happened in the Singleton's household, the fall. And let's listen to the continuum of God, constant speaking, providing a provision even before circumstances and how we deal with those things. And then we're going to put a challenge to us all. Okay? So we start with the first. Amanda. Stuff I expect you to see. It's 28 years since I became a Christian and um, joined this church. And I haven't seen all that I expected to see. I haven't seen that work out in, in my life yet. And I felt like somewhere I'd lost sight of what I felt I came here for. Um, something about the truth of my identity in God and what I should be walking in. Now, Dave bought me a book for my birthday last year, which some of you will have heard of, some of you may have read or thought, oh, no, not that book again. Um, it was Spiritual Java. And I, I liked it particularly because it had little chunks of uh, reading. It wasn't a big, great thing. And I became like that um, dripping tap wife, uh, except I was reading this book. And everywhere we went, I took it in my handbag. I took it to the coffee shop. We took it to the park. And the, I could see them all going, oh, no, she's got that book with her again, you know. Um, but I felt it was provoking and it was kind of adding to me some of the things that had already started to stir. Um, and I started to think, have I accommodated things in my life? Have I started to put up with things? And are the things in me that I'm now working around that once I would have thought, hang on a minute, that's not, that's not right, like Lucy was saying. Um, have I settled for less? And one of the uh, provocations for me from that book uh, is this one. It says, <laughs> okay. um, Our minds stray into natural thinking 
our faith erodes so subtly that we don't notice it happening. And little by little, we begin to think practically, leaning on natural wisdom, not on kingdom reality. And that set me thinking. It kind of just hit me right here. And I thought, so the problem starts with the way that I'm thinking. And then my thinking starts to inform my experience of what I expect. And then I start to maybe have a lesser picture of God than what I should. And we know that it says in Romans about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so I started to think that's kind of where I need to begin. I need my thinking to change. There was another little quote which made me smile. And it said, um, to participate in the awesome work of the kingdom, we can't casually row, row, row our boat gently down the stream. We've got to run. And something with me was kind of thinking, yeah, I was running at the time. But, um, you know, it says, there's a verse in Habakkuk which it says, you know, write the vision put it on the tablets and run with it. And I felt like there's a momentum that I'm wanting that I haven't been fully living until now. And I started to think, you know, what have I accommodated? When have I been sitting in the boat bobbing along when actually maybe there was something else? Am I expecting to see the supernatural? Am I expecting to see healing? Am I expecting to see breakthrough? for long-term battles. Um, what the Torbies. Hello. Um, yeah, so some of you might remember um, about this time last year, I gave a testimony about how God really kind of broke into my life and changed, changed my life completely. It was like, it's quite a life-changing event. Um, and, you know, kind of a lot of the stuff that I'd been living before was completely changed and I was just really excited to be living for God and, you know, seeing God's kingdom. And, and, and that summer I was kind of uh, looking to go back to uni for my final year and I was kind of saying, yeah, God, I'm really excited about going back. I really want to see your kingdom come. And um, it was kind of around about the same time that the mum was talking about when she had that, um, that hunger to see these, these, these things happen, the doing the stuff that actually I started to feel the opposite of what, um, what I wanted to feel. You know, I, was, I wanted to be you know, excited, but actually it's, it was quite a sudden thing. I just started to feel really scared and had loads of anxiety. And I had this kind of constant onslaught of... Um, negative thoughts and negative thinking and uh, had physical symptoms. I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping um, and it was just a really, really desperate time. And I was like, where has this come from? You know, this is not what I want to see. This is not what I was expecting. And, and so like in, like in the video, I had a kind of stump in my life that I wasn't expecting, came out of nowhere. And um, yeah, just was going against what I wanted and, and what I wanted to see God doing in my life. So yeah, that was, that was quite a desperate situation, but actually it was the, the beginning of um, a process in my life where God has really started to work and show me things that, um, that need to go. And yeah, so we, I'm going to leave it there, but we'll come back to this, this story and yeah.
going to cut that one a bit short because I want to put a challenge to us that we possibly go back and listen to these audios or we possibly go back and look at our notes and really hone in on what God said to us then at those points that we listen. You know, just as the Bible, it's there. It's not changing, but there's truth and wisdom there. And there's a way where, as the Bible says, as the cares of life come upon us, the significance of some of these words that will refresh upon us kind of dissipate over time. Um, and there are many more examples than what I possibly have here in the audio clips. I remember Jolie's situation on the night in the prayer. She said, my circumstance didn't change. I was still in the hostel. <laughs> I was still confronted with thoughts of being a failure. But suddenly I had a revelation that while I was in here, there were other people in here with me and God has probably brought me to be a resource to them. As well as what stands the back of me quite apart from my faith is the reality of a community, which is us, that was supporting her in that circumstance that a lot of those people in that hostel didn't have in their arsenal. And I'm just saying to us, we've got to understand the rich treasure that God is investing inside of us. And I'm sure for all these people whose audio testimonies I've shared or I may make mention to, there are battles that probably follow them right after those processes. Sapping of their faith, you know, um, the enemy seeking to, to take ground. I remember, I think when Jeremy was sharing in that Simon Sunday, he was talking about a sense of, although he had victories in the OCD and he was able to finish, he still wasn't able to pursue the MA program that he hoped to achieve. And it seemed that life had almost come to a stop still. But Jamie brought out a point at the end when he was sharing. He said, he was talking about, uh, my victory is not that everything is now a reality, but my mind, oh, I forget it now. My mind, spiritual warfare is when the spiritual reality catches up to the things that are, oh, I'm feeling tongue-tied. Remind me of that, Jeremy. Jamie? <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't a deliberate ploy, but point made in terms of how can we remember what it is God was saying to us back then? And there's a place where we talk about knowing the scriptures and knowing the stuff. There's a place where we need to make this speaking of God to us very familiar that we could call it to mind at the point of our crisis or weakness so that we could live within a saturated place of God. Remember Lynn's example and God's provision around the time while his mom was acutely ill and then her passing. So um, there's a challenge to us there, yeah? That God is speaking and we need to be faithful. If God is to ask us as a community, what have we done with the speaking of his word to us over the last eight, ten months? We must be able to give an account. God, this is what it has produced. We were willing to lay down all our processes, all our fears, all our anxieties, and this is what came back forth from it. If we just skip forward into... Dawn, yeah. It's a very small, short clip. 
intended that Jesus spoke in parables. He told stories so that people understood some of the points he was going to make. So I decided that I would use our story. And I want you to understand the journey that we've been on and to be assured that he, God, leads us through things for our own good. And to realize that if you accept that he knows best, you'll come out of the other side as the person he wants you to be. And that you'll be able to see the faithfulness of God to meet us where we are. So I've entitled my talk today, I Wish It Had Never Happened, But... So I'm starting it with the fall. For us, on the 27th of February, um, things changed. We were having, we decided to have our bathrooms refurbished. They'd not been refurbished for 27 years, so they needed doing. So we were having them refurbished. The house was a mess. John was in... Um, um, no, uh, we'd planned that we did this refurbishing while John was around because I don't like dealing with builders so we planned John's a year around this little did I know how long he was going to be around um, but God has a bigger plan than what I had so I'm going to walk you through some of the things that happened and hopefully not take too long um, John was in a meeting, and um, he went upstairs for something while they had a break, and he fell down two stairs. A small clip, because John had some pain. It's all irrelevant. He just... <laughs> yeah, but this is the last clip. So I left John in the hospital that night and I went home and during the night I know that God dropped something in my heart and he said to me, it's taken us by surprise but it's not taken me and you know I hung on to that. When I got to see John the next morning, that was the only useful thing I felt I could say to him. Okay. Deliberately in that, those last two audios, I kind of left out the natural circumstance because it's almost absolutely irrelevant. It's like Christ saying how my son died or Christ was prayed in the garden of Gethsemane or all the details of all the other stories we said. The thing that is true inside of all those things is God's promise, his provision, and that he is with us. And if we latch on to that and be faithful to God's word, the detail becomes irrelevant. And we'll be really able as a community to produce what God has given us in this field to bring forth as a harvest for him. All right, so the worship team is coming, but that's the end. But I'll encourage you to go back, listen to those clips, revisit your notes, 
and let's see what else God is saying there to us.